Hello, welcome in. It's a Sunday recap edition of Always College Football. We appreciate you being with us wherever it is you're coming to us from. Whether that's on the ESPN YouTube channel or if it's here with us via the podcast, thanks for being here. Like, rate, and subscribe, all the usual stuff. Let's dive in. It was a really exciting week eight of the college football season. We had some good action, a lot of good action, a couple notable upsets too, and a couple close calls for sure. Let's start at the top. First game of the day, or well, I don't know if it was the first. There might have been a game that kicked earlier. I don't know. But either way, Penn State and Ohio State, the game of the day in college football. I'm not sure anyone would push back on that. Not that it really amounted to a whole lot as far as the way it looked. It was a pretty boring game. <laughs> if you're into offense, it was not for you. But either way, man, both defenses, it just felt like a like a heavyweight fight, didn't it? I mean, you look at goal line stands and difficulty running the football with consistency and getting behind the sticks and uh, a key penalty. By the way, people that are upset about the, you know, fumble, return to the house, touchdown, well, you know, people pointed at that play. Yeah, sure, it, it was a big play, a monumental play, but it was the correct call. I mean, the guy clearly held Marvin Harrison. So I didn't have an issue with that whatsoever. A couple takeaways from this. Ohio State is not as explosive offensively as they've been in the past, but Marvin Harrison Jr., is still every bit as good as he's always been. And just taking over the game yesterday, the little shallow cross routes, they couldn't pass it off. They tried to pass it off in some cases with a linebacker, and he just continued to find ways. Man, he was terrific yesterday, reminding everybody that he is the best receiver in college football. It's like he watched Roma Dunzi last week at Washington and said, hang on a second, I I'm going to show you how this is done real quick. So he was terrific. Uh, I thought the run game was okay at times, but not great. Then again, you got to give a ton of credit to how Penn State played in the front seven defensively. The, actually, look at Ohio State's numbers. They were really, really bad. Um, just two yards of carry, give or take, on 41 attempts. But there were, felt like there were some more holes than, than I guess the overall stats looked. Either way, both defenses, I thought, did a really, really solid job. Uh, against the run clearly that was a point of emphasis and neither defense really allowed a whole lot on the ground whatsoever uh nicholas singleton and katron allen uh really held in check obviously the two combining for 74 yards i believe 74 yes 48 and 26 double check my math but i'm pretty sure that's exactly where it was on 18 attempts here's the big takeaway for me with penn state they don't have enough juice on the outside they just don't. I mean, you look at when they throw it and, and there's just draped. I mean, there was very little separation throughout the course of the game. Aller was having to fit in a really tight windows and as a result struggled. And obviously things were padded there at the end, but this was a dominant defensive performance from the Buckeyes. And I know that a lot of people are going to be enamored with how many points you can score and how explosive your offense is and how badly you're beating teams. I don't care. All I care about is the final result, and that was a heck of a win, I think, against a really high-quality football team in Penn State for the Buckeyes. They now have two big-time wins on their resume, Notre Dame and Penn State. Of course, the big ones looming, though, at season's end when they take on Michigan, who also looked electric. Just a completely dominant performance. Kind of a scandalous week surrounding Michigan. You know, we, We'll get into the sign-stealing and talk about that a little bit later on. Uh, we're not going to sit here and point fingers. I, I don't, unless I see physical evidence myself that they're stealing signs and using some 
highly scientific approach to ceiling signs. I'm not going to be accusatory. It's just not the way I operate. But there was a lot of reason to think that maybe Michigan this week would be a slightest bit distracted, perhaps. I mean, it's also going against the Michigan State team that had beaten 10 of the last 15 and had covered 13 of the last 15. So if you actually look at just how Michigan State has performed in this rivalry, it's been one that's been tough for the Wolverines, but it was not tough, obviously, yesterday. Getting it done in convincing fashion. J.J. McCarthy, four touchdowns in the performance. He's playing at an elite level. I mean, he's playing at a really elite level. And I do believe, I do believe that when they move forward in the season and he has some bigger platforms, people will start to take notice because there's no reason why J.J. McCarthy should not be in the Heisman mix. He's playing terrific football. Terrific. And of course, Blake Corum, who is in the Heisman mix, he's a good player. He's a great player. But I still think that Michigan's offense is different this year because of J.J. McCarthy's progress and how he's developed over time. Another top five team in action last night on the ropes for a moment was the Florida State Seminoles. Didn't look good there in the early going. Really, in, in a lot of ways, looked like Duke was kind of controlling the flow of the game. Duke was able to run the football with some efficiency. And then... Boom, Duspan hits the kickoff return. It felt like that was kind of the moment that flipped the game just a little bit. And then also, too, looking at just how things went in the fourth quarter of that football game. I know when Riley Leonard got hurt, it took the air out of the balloon. It absolutely, and I feel like it had an effect, not just on Duke's offense, but on their defense, too. You just could tell... The air went out of the balloon, and they just weren't able to overcome his absence. And then, of course, getting stopped in the uh, in the goal line, three-yard line, whatever it was, that was deflating because I think if Riley Leonard's in the game, he probably is able to complete that pass that Beelan was just not able to complete. So it's unfortunate for Duke that they weren't at 100%, but this was a good, resilient performance from Florida State. I continue to be impressed with Florida State. They, they Now we still haven't seen them with the exception of Syracuse play a 60-minute ball game on both sides of the ball. But you see it in flashes, right? If we could just get that throughout the course of a four-quarter game, it'd be something to see because they can certainly go when they rev their engine. Uh, Washington, a little bit of a sleepwalker there against Arizona State. Not a great performance by any stretch of the imagination. Penix had a couple interceptions. Didn't look great in the game whatsoever. But defensively, it was kind of nice to see Washington win a game when their offense didn't have their best stuff. So if we're going to find the silver lining here, it's, well, more often than not, Washington's going to play pretty dang well offensively. More often than not. But there might be a game or two that they won't have their best stuff. And these are games, and Washington fans can attest, these are games that they've lost in the past. I remember games specifically. I called it. It was actually against Arizona State, but it was in Tempe. And they were stagnant offensively. Jake Browning was the starter. I believe it was 2017. They were a top five team. Offense was terrible. And they lost the game like 13 to six or, or 20 to six or whatever it was. Well, the offense was stagnant tonight as well. Today as well. Yesterday as well. Whatever the heck it was. That game was late. So it might as well have been Sunday. And they still found a way to win. That was a good win from Washington. I think. And I know people will say, well, it wasn't pretty. They'll probably drop them in the polls. Okay, well, how many teams did look good yesterday? Because Oklahoma sure didn't. They're number six right behind Washington. It was a hideous performance, a game in which UCF, frankly, I thought they outplayed them. 
in a lot of ways. Created some big plays. And look, it was great that Gabriel and company got things going a little bit down the stretch, but that was not a good performance from the Sooners whatsoever off a of bye week. Texas didn't look good at all. Well, they did for a moment. They were rolling there up 21 nothing. I'm thinking, all right, well, this game's over. Texas is back. Nope. Houston climbs right back in it, makes it interesting, and has a chance at the very end of the game to potentially steal it. I thought Oregon had a really convincing victory against Washington State. We were on the call. They are so good running the football. Now, Washington State, not great against the run. That's to be expected. But for Oregon to run the ball with two dynamic, super dynamic weapons at running back, Jordan James and obviously Bucky Irving, those are the two guys. And Bonex gets all the credit. Troy Franklin gets all the credit. Fair enough. Bucky Irving's the guy that makes that offense go. He's what makes them different. He's what makes them extremely difficult to defend. So I guess if you're going to rearrange the the chairs on the deck, if Team 5 didn't look good, if Team 6 didn't look good, if Team 8 didn't look good, but Team 9 did, well, do you move Team 9 up? Probably not. Let's not get carried away. They have one loss after all. North Carolina lost. They were Team 10, losing to Virginia. And we've talked about this on our Wednesday show over the last couple of weeks. The team that we've had at number 10, or on Monday show, whatever that is, we talk about it. The team that we've had at number 10 has lost three straight weeks. So sorry about that, North Carolina. That's our fault. We will certainly shoulder the burden for that. But it was like one of those vintage North Carolina performances, wasn't it? Just And it could have been worse. If not for the fumble out of the back of the end zone, it could have been worse. A team in Virginia that has shown improvement this year, no doubt, give them credit, they have shown improvement. But to beat a team that had been absolutely cooking with gas, they'd won every game against Power 5 competition by 10 or more points. And to lay an egg in a situation like that, pretty inexcusable, frankly. It's a focus loss. They didn't play well at all. They didn't have any focus and... That's what happens. Alabama slept, walked their way through the first half again. How many different times are we going to say this? It's rinse and repeat with the Crimson Tide. First half, hapless, low energy, terrible as far as being able to execute at a high level. Like just rinse and repeat. And then boom, in the second half, it's like, all right, that's a different team. That would We've seen it against Ole Miss. We've seen it against Texas A&M. We saw it in some cases uh, against Texas because they did look pretty good there in the third quarter. Obviously, not for much in the fourth quarter. But we have seen this team flip in the third quarter multiple times this year and turn it into a whole nother animal. Now, if we could get the second half version of Alabama for 60 minutes, it'd be amazing. I think they could go with anybody if they played like that all the time. But we have not seen it just yet. Credit to Nick Saban and his staff, though, because they were a step ahead of Josh Heupel and the Volunteers in this one. Got hot in the second half. Uh, felt like Milrow played a little bit better in the second half. The run game got going. Jace McClellan started to settle in as well. So that was a really good, resilient performance from the Crimson Tide, getting revenge from last year's loss to the Tennessee Volunteers. Nice second-half performance, outscoring the Vols 27-zip in the final 30 minutes, including the sack fumble to the house that made that game just a little bit more comfortable for those wearing the crimson and white. 
Uh, Peyton Manning will be sending me a cigar, so I am looking forward to enjoying one on his behalf. Uh, Ole Miss goes to Auburn. Good win. Not a pretty win whatsoever, but a good win nonetheless. Uh, this was a little bit lower scoring than I was anticipating. I thought there'd be a little bit more action in this game. thought there'd be a little bit more high scoring. There'd be some bigger plays. Quinshawn Judkins is looking more and more like himself, which is encouraging for Ole Miss down the stretch. And you look at Ole Miss right now. They're kind of the forgotten team, or at least one of the forgotten teams in college football. I don't feel like anyone's really talking about the Rebels, and here they are with games now at home against Vanderbilt and Texas A&M. You guys tell me, do you like them in both those games? Because I personally do. They're going to be sitting there at 8-1 and one with a road trip to Athens. Just saying. So circle that date, November 11th. There's some exciting ones on that date because things are looking very, very good. This was the last real, real big hurdle for Ole Miss as far as being away from home to be able to get to Athens with just one loss on the resume. Now, is the AM game losable? Sure. Is the Vanderbilt game losable? If Virginia taught us anything last night, every game is losable, especially when you're a little inconsistent. And Ole Miss certainly is. But they might very well be heading to Athens at 8-1, and one, which would be probably one of the bigger games of the college football schedule. LSU made mincemeat out of Army. Missouri destroyed South Carolina. South Carolina's just got issues. They got issues right now, man. I mean, that offense, I know it was windy. I know it was a challenging day to be able to be real efficient through the air. But, man, it just... South Carolina's run defense, man. I mean, Schrader just got off in this game. Luther Burden continues to do amazing things, but they just couldn't defend the run. If there's one thing I thought South Carolina could do is they'd be stout against the run, and that was not the case. A good win for Missouri, a convincing win for Missouri. Air Force takes care of business, dismantling Navy. They win the Commander-in-Chief trophy outright, 17-6. So congrats to the Falcons there. Tulane, not a pretty performance whatsoever. How about the third quarter from North Texas? 21 points in the third quarter for North Texas to make this thing real uncomfortable for the Tulane Green Wave. They ultimately get the win, but it wasn't pretty. That's for sure. Obviously, Michael Pratt took off, made that game-winning touchdown run. It's a great play, but either way, not exactly a super comfortable spot for the wave. Minnesota and Iowa. I feel terrible for the Iowa football team. I feel terrible for it. Now, I don't know if it was a fair catch. I didn't interpret it as a fair catch because to me, a fair catch signal has to be clear and obvious. Like going like this, telling guys to get away from it, is not a fair catch signal. That That's, in my opinion, that is not a fair catch signal. Now, there might be rules, officials, analysts, Dean Blandino, all these other guys, Gene Steratore, Steve Shaw, Matt Austin, all the guys that are doing, you know, officiating in the booth. They might disagree with me. I think it's a little bit of a judgment call, personally. Some guys would interpret this as clear and obvious. This is clear and obvious where the hand sideways, down, up, above the head, etc. I personally did not think that was a fair catch signal. Therefore, Minnesota, or excuse me, Iowa got robbed. That's the way I felt about it. But at the same time, I for those that say it was a fair catch signal, 
I kind of get it too. Like it's one of those there there's just a little gray area in that rule. And I hate that they came up on the losing end. But here's what I'll say about Iowa in general. Iowa has had no business winning multiple games this year. I mean, they just haven't. Like they've gotten by by the by the hair of their chinny chin chin, deserve immense amount of credit for finding ways to squeak it out. Right. Totally respect uh Kirk Ferentz. Totally respect Phil Parker. Totally respect the Iowa program and how it's been built. But if this team would have been sitting there at 11 to 1 playing the way they play offensively, it would have been a travesty. Seriously. I mean, it's just unwatchable. It really is. It's just painful to watch. There's absolutely minimal excitement every time Iowa goes on the field offensively. Like that's not what that's not good for anyone. Yeah, I know the ultimate goal is to win the game. I get that. Iowa had 127 yards of offense in this game. And almost won. So in a roundabout way, I'm almost happy that that it went the way it went because this is an this is unacceptable. And you can tell me, well, they've lost all their playmakers. They've had guys get hurt. Fair enough. I get that. But I don't care who you're playing, what happens as far as your circumstances are concerned, for you to have 127 yards of offense against a Minnesota defense, frankly, that isn't that great, is just flat out ridiculous. So Iowa needs just a complete overhaul on that side of the ball at some point. I they, they got to adjust, they got to adapt, and you got to make do with what you got. Because if you're winning games, and if it people are pointing to, well, it should have been this, it should have been that, it should have been a touchdown, should not have been a touchdown, what have you, they win, they lose, what whatever. You cannot tell me that that offensive performance is acceptable under any circumstance. Win, lose, or draw. There were plenty of games when we won games when offense played terrible. Well, and we acknowledge that it was unacceptable. The offense is unacceptable. It's absolutely painful to watch. Uh, UCLA takes care of business against Stanford, and that'll round out the rest of the top 25. So very, very exciting day of college football. Very close calls in a lot of different circumstances. Of course, with Florida State, had a, tr- had a tough one against Duke. You, for at least a moment, they thought that maybe Oregon would be in a battle with Washington State. Arizona State gave Washington all they wanted. UCF gave Oklahoma all they wanted. Obviously, North Carolina lost to Virginia. So Houston gave Texas all they wanted. This was a one of those weekends where it was just a little close for comfort. A lot of teams either coming out of a bye week or going into the bye week, and the performances were less than stellar across the board. I'm just telling you, North Carolina, they fall fell victim last week. They are not the, the first, and they will not be the last. You see some teams right now that are really running on empty, and we're going to have some upsets the next couple of weeks. I, I'll just go on ahead and guarantee it. So... Should be interesting. We'll monitor it closely. That'll do it for us here at Always College Football. Continue to appreciate all of you for being with us here on a Sunday. Little bit light on sleep after the red eye from Eugene, but we're here because we love it. It was a great day of the sport yesterday. We hope you guys enjoyed it, and we look forward to breaking it down in detail on our Monday edition of Always College Football. We'll break it down, 10 things we learned, give you our top 10 and kind of hit it from a little deeper angle. So for all of us here at Always College Football, for Mark, Jake, Jack, I'm Greg. We hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, it's always college football.